everyone. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod, and we're here with our beginning of the Big Ten previews for the 2023-2024 Big Ten basketball season. And we always begin back to the front. And so the bottom team here is number 14, Minnesota. But before we begin, I just want to remind you that if you've not yet had the opportunity to rate or review the show, please go to the podcast player of your choice. Leave a five-star written review. Written views are the best. They help the algorithm most for other Spartan Spartan fans to find our show. So please go ahead and do that as soon as you can. We really appreciate it. It's what helps the show grow so much. Uh, All right. So... I guess we'll start with Minnesota here. Last season, they were 9-22, and 2-17 and 17 in the Big Ten. <laughs> and they were ranked in almost implausible number 216th and Ken Palm for ratings, ratings of teams. And just to, uh, I guess, put in reference, there were, what, 350 Division One teams? 360-some. Yeah, so 360-some. And probably 250 or so are in really tiny conferences. And so... Um, to be ranked 216th as a Power Five conference is pretty impressive to be that bad. Uh, so you have to go back to 15-16 season to find a worst team in the Ken Palm rankings. That was uh, Rutgers, and they, as we all remember Rutgers when they first joined the Big Ten, they were really terrible, and they were 279th. It's the fifth worst Big Ten team in the Ken Palm era, going all the way back to 2000. <laughs> so basically, they were pretty terrible, and they were more terrible than I think we anticipated. And even worse than the first team, first season with Ben Johnson, Way where worse. it was the yeah, I mean it was right, not even close, uh, which were you sort of jokingly referred to them as the mid-major all-stars, as they were all right. portal players. Uh, so, you know, they had three guys play every game from the last season, so they had lots of injuries. They also had an inability to score. They had no offensive firepower. They're also the only team that Michigan State did not play last year because of the shooting and then the inability to reschedule the game last season. Uh, they were 235th in offensive efficiency last year. Uh, didn't rank the top 200 in, in any offensive Ken Palm category, except to assist a field goal ratio where they were ninth. <laughs> they were uh, a very young team for Johnson. Uh, and they really showed it in addition to the fact that they were injured all the time. Uh, so they are two league wins uh, were over Ohio state and Rutgers. And then they did beat Matt Nebraska somehow in the big 10 tournament. Uh, but they obviously didn't go to any to the NCAA tournament. They certainly didn't beat anybody who was uh, good enough to make the NCAA tournament either. So I guess you know, what more can you add to that <laughs> synopsis? Well, it was team. it was a truly comprehensively awful season, and and as we alluded to, much much worse than Ben Johnson's first year. He he really the expectation heading into that season was wow. These guys are going to be awful because it was scorched earth from the Richard Patino era. There was essentially nobody of any real presence or stature back from the team the year prior. And it wasn't as if Ben Johnson went out and landed high profile portal guys. He, as you said, we used to call it the mid-major all-star team because that's essentially what it was. It was mostly guys who had been at mid-majors, but, you know, he, he was able to take that core and it was a tight core. They basically played six guys 
right. that season. And because they were experienced and because they played together so much, because Minnesota never really used their bench, they were able to do certain things reasonably well. They weren't a good team. Let's get that straight. But <laughs> they were very efficient. They did not turn the ball over. They would occasionally shoot decently enough from three to have an impact. And because of their experience level, they were able to be competitive much more so than I think anybody had anticipated coming into the season. So they returned, you know, a couple guys from that group. Um, They brought in some recruits. Uh, brought in some new portal additions. And I think, and I'll, I'll fall victim to this. My assumption was, okay, Ben Johnson apparently, you know, has a clue as to how to make this thing, this kind of thing work with heavy roster turnover. Again, I didn't expect him to be a tournament team, but I did expect them to be reasonably competitive, especially because one of the guys they added was Dawson Garcia, a former McDonald's all American. So they actually were bringing in some real talent. And one of the guys they returned, Jamison Battle, was their best player from the year prior. So to me, it looked like, okay, there's some real talent in the front court here. They're going to be competitive again. They're not going to win a ton of games, but they'll be tight. It just did not work out. I think a big part of it was the injuries. When you mm-hmm. only have three guys that play every game, it's hard to get that same continuity. And I also think, in fairness to Ben Johnson, that first year was such, you know, he got the job late and yeah. it was just, let's, let's get some guys and see if we can cobble a roster together. Last year was really the first real year of his tenure because he's trying to actually build a program that can be successful. So there were more high school guys. There were, um, they had a, a deeper bench in terms of the number of guys who played regularly. Um, so he was trying to accomplish those types of things. It just didn't work out. Um, you know, when you look at those numbers, when you're the fifth worst team in the big 10, in the Ken Palmeiras of the last 23 years, that's a real statement. When you're sub 200 overall in Ken Palm, that's a real statement. And as you say, it was, they weren't good defensively, but offensively, it was an absolute abject disaster. And that's that's really where it begins and ends is they just could not score with any kind of efficiency. And when you do it to the level they did, 9-22, and 2-17 and 17 is, is kind of how it's going to go. Yeah, I feel like in some ways the team is was not a whole lot different than the year before offensively, except that the year before they valued possessions. They didn't, you know, they, they, they were efficient, at least they weren't turning the ball over and they were getting shots up. And I, that was, that's, one what, huge it, that's difference. what it means. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it's, it's funny how that little bit makes a big difference, right? Just that one thing like the Wisconsin and not Wisconsin. <laughs> we, for, we find that out every year in the big 10, you will see teams. I mean, look, Wisconsin is known for that, right? They just do not turn the ball over ever. Right. The Bo Ryan era, the the Greg Gard era, same thing, more or less. But their efficiency as a shooting team has really ebbed and flowed over the years. Mm-hmm. But they're still able, even in a down year, they're still able to be competitive for that reason, because they're not going to kick the ball away. 
They're going to get shots up. So even if they're not a tremendously accurate team, they're still going to get the number of shots up that are going to give them a chance. And, and that's what Minnesota did not have going for them last year. Yeah, I think, you know, fundamentally basketball in some ways can be a, is a math thing, right? So you either get up yeah. more shots, more volume by getting more possessions, more rebounds, you get more opportunities, or you limit your opponent's opportunity to score points and limiting their, and so you, you know, you just, you want to, and if you're obviously a better shooting team, you're going to be even more successful, but that's a way to sort of balance the playing, the level, level of the playing field, I suppose, in some ways, just by changing those possessions and shots. And that's why the coaches pay so much attention to it. And I think it was even when we were talking discussion earlier this summer uh, with, I think it was Carson Cooper talking about how the you know, Michigan was had a goal of 65 to 70 shots per game. Yeah. That was, that was not just a reflection of, Oh, we're hoping the other team's going to shoot 65, 70 times each, you know, either they, you know, they want to try and rebound and get and maximize on the offensive boards and get more shots up as well. Right. It's, it's funny though, because you know, the big 10, when I think of the Big Ten as a league, one of the things I do think about, and this doesn't mean it's every team, but it's a lot of teams, more so than most leagues, I think. There is league-wide an emphasis on valuing the ball. Frequently, you will see, you know, four teams, five teams in the top 20 in um, turnover percentage. And Michigan State has been an outlier in that, in that way um vis-a-vis the rest of the league is it typically you know the turnover percentage is by big 10 standards fairly high but it doesn't matter because michigan state's going to play at a different pace they're also going to get additional shots typically because of the way they offensive rebound etc um but i think for a team like minnesota it really really mattered because they weren't going to be able to play fast they weren't going to be able to offensive rebound so the only the only path they had was minimize the mistakes the way they did the year prior, and that they just weren't even close in that category. Yeah. So I mean, if you're a Gophers fan, I guess the way one way, one way you can look at it is well, we'll be better. <laughs> almost hard, almost hard by default. Worse. Hard to be worse, <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, I suppose, and I suppose you know. Two years for a year from now, and you say you're 14th, that's actually not so bad because you're not in the last place in the Big Ten. But right. this year, uh, so your prediction is um, for their 14th. Well, let's talk about the players who are departing and those who have been washed away, just like the water should come get washed away off your roof through your gutters. So the Brothers of Just Just You Gutters are sponsoring the players departing as we do this promo. Uh, they are fantastic tradesmen. They will take care of your roofing needs. Well, I should just say gutter needs. They only do gutters. They specialize in that. So if you have leaf problems, if you have leaking problems, if your water's pooling in the side of your house, or you've got a torrent coming off the side where you didn't actually have gutters, or the gutters are too small, they can take care of all that. They can repair things. They can replace them. All sorts of different options, and they get it done quickly and a very good price. Uh, you can't go wrong. There, I know we've had people who I've heard from them. They said they've had a number of our listeners who've reached out and they've been very happy with their service and listeners of the show. So if you need gutter work, take a look at Roof. If you definitely absolutely go out to Brothers, Brothers Suggest Your Gutters, you can find them at brothersgutters.com in an area near you. If you're on the west side of the state, you can contact Kurt and his team. If you're on the east side of the state in the Detroit metro area, you can talk to Greg and his team. Uh, you can find c- contact information to that in your podcast player below. So check them out. 10% off if you mention Final Four when you get your estimate. All right, so let's talk about the players departing for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. 
The most prominent of them is Jameson Battle. 6'8", power forward, clearly the best player in the team last year, and he was injured the year before, so he wasn't quite as effective. But he's leaving and transferring to Ohio State. So he's one of those uh, mid-conference transfers. And, you know, he's second on the team in scoring at 12.4 points a game. Uh, he didn't shoot great. He would have games where he'd shoot really well, but he was, but generally was not super. So 37% from the field, 31% from three, 78% from the line. After the previous year, where he was 45 37 and 76. So he's definitely better shooting last year, but I don't think he was as injured maybe, or uh, I don't know. He was just, I guess he's just better. But so if he stays healthy for Ohio state, he'll definitely help them, but that doesn't help to help Minnesota at all because he is good scorer, good rebounder. And I think he was a pretty good leader for the team too. Yeah, he was, he was their go-to guy such as it was the year prior, but um, I mean, everything was down. His scoring was down about five points a game. You mentioned the shooting line. His rebounding was down. Um, and a lot of that was attributable to health. So he missed a bunch of games. But as often happens with guys, sometimes that doesn't even tell the full story because some of the games they're playing in, they're not near 100%. And I think that's what happened. I think he really struggled to get back to full health and it really impacted his play. We're going to come back around to him when we talk about Ohio state, but I think he's quietly maybe one of the better portal additions anywhere in the country. If he's healthy, because he showed two years ago, what he could be. If he's healthy, if he had put up that kind of season on a contender, he would have been a first team, all big 10 kind of player. Now, I'm not sure whether if he plays on a contender, he gets the opportunities to put up quite that level of production. But Jameson Battle can play. There's no doubt in my mind. And it's a big loss for Minnesota. You're you're taking away a guy that even in an injury-riddled offseason was still a really important player for them. So there's no way to sugarcoat that. That's a loss. Well, speaking of losses, the next up is Taylon Cooper. Transfer point guard from Moorhead State. He transferred to South Carolina. Uh, he's a starter. He was a starting point guard for Minnesota. Played all 31 games. Led the team in minutes, averaging almost 10 points a game on 40, 38, and 61 shooting. And was a little under two and a half to one assist to turnover ratio. So pretty good. And he was second in the conference in assists overall. So he leaves for the Gamecocks. Yeah, that's that's another loss, and I'm not sure what the what the deal was there, um, because God knows he got the minutes. He was, you know, at the at the center of what they were doing, um, and he played well. So Minnesota was not looking to push him out, I don't think. But, um, yeah, for whatever reason, he opted to transfer to South Carolina. Um, it's a whole, I think it's one that they've, they've done a decent job in the portal, giving themselves a chance to overcome that loss. But um, it is a loss because – Uh, Cooper was the one guy on this team that really did an effective job of distributing the ball and making plays for others. And then, as we say, you know, almost a double digit score, his shooting numbers efficiency wise were pretty solid. So he did some nice things for them. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say without, you could speculate that he, the reason he left is there's higher chance of having success in South Carolina. If he'd be from Minnesota Uh, marginal. Yeah, but it's probably more than two league games, but you know, who who knows? It's, but it's, that's the thing. It's not like, it's not like, well, you leave Minnesota and 
you're transferring to Auburn. Yeah, right. Or you're no, transferring I, yeah, to Alabama. South Carolina is not a good program either. So I really don't understand it, but he, I, he, I think he is from the South. So as he started his career at Moorhead state, so um, that may be part of it, but is in Moorhead terms state, of just, Alabama, uh, I thought, I thought it was Tennessee. Oh yeah. I think you're right. Um, yeah. Well, that's pretty close to South Carolina, but it's, so. it's yeah, it's the South. So maybe that was it. Um, yeah. But I don't think it program quality, if that's the reasoning he needs to get his head examined. <laughs> Well, you know, these kids, you know, who knows what they're thinking. All right. So next departure is Trayton Thompson, seven footer, played two years for the Gophers, uh, transferred to Stetson. Uh, he only averaged 2.1 points a game, 2.4 rebounds a game and 20 games played. He wasn't going to probably have a large role anyway in the team. So he obviously transferred to a, a small, smaller school. Well, it's, it's the one thing that I think, um, Ben Johnson's done a decent job of thus far is bringing in some guys with size who can play. And so you look at their roster and, you know, especially last year with one of the guys we'll talk about in a minute, um, for Payne, um, really emerging for them. It seemed unlikely that Thompson was going to ever be more than a bit part guy for them. So I, you know, that transfer made sense. And again, when a guy ends up at Stetson, it tells you that there's <laughs> that's a all you sense. need to know. Well, yeah, that there's just a sense. Okay, this guy probably isn't a high major player after all. Right. Yeah, and you talk about all the time that you just never know what these these players that you know it's which a ones going to develop. Right. Yeah. Beyond, beyond those handful of guys at the top, um, once you get to guys that are ranked in the top fifty, let's say, or fifty and below, especially. If you're a, if you're talking about a five, a big man, hey, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> uh, next departure would be uh, Jaden Henley, six seven four, played all thirty four one games as a freshman. He started eighteen of them, averaged five point three points a game on thirty eight thirty eight and sixty three shooting, and he opted to transfer to DePaul, which is a little surprising because that's a program also struggling. But I guess I don't know is he from Chicago or some other reason to move. No, it's the, again, you just, you just never know with this stuff. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's hard to know for sure because sometimes it can be a connection to someone on the staff. Um, you know, there could be things that you, you'd really have to do some, uh, some investigation, but I, I know this much. I think it's a disappointing loss for Minnesota because Henley, I mean, look, the numbers aren't eye popping, but he showed enough as a true freshman to suggest that, yeah, this is a guy who is probably good enough that we can grow with him. And by the time he's an upperclassman, hopefully the team around him is going to be good enough where, um, you know, he's going to be able to be part of turning this thing around. So to lose him, I don't think that was something they necessarily wanted. Yeah. And it's got to be trouble, uh, difficult. If you're Ben Johnson, you recruit these high school players, you start to try and build a foundation and then they can just transfer away if you're right. sort of like a middling kind of almost a mid-major program within a power five conference. If people don't well, see that, and that opportunity really there, right? Is, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. And that is, that is what's happening at the mid-major level, you know, because uh, there's two things happening first, because of the number, the activity in the portal, high majors, and we've talked about this before, high majors are not taking as many high school kids as they used to. Right. You know, they're just not. 
the recruiting classes are not as big. Um, on the other end of it, high school kids are now in a position where I think a lot of them have to say, all right, I'm going to start my career out at something less than a power five plus one um, and figure that my freshman year is really a glorified prep school year. I'm auditioning for high majors. And then I, now to see a high major school having that happen, that's not so good, um, which you could argue this, the Henley situation kind of looks that way, but who knows? Yeah. And I suppose next year we'll have to call it a power four plus one. Uh, so the final right. departing player, Tor Samuels, he was grad transfer last year. He wasn't very good. He averaged 2.3 points a game on 27, 28, and 60 shooting, playing about 17 minutes a game. Yeah, they, they had, they needed the guard help. So he had to play, but yeah, that was, that was not, you know, Cooper was a relatively successful Porta lad. Samuels was not. Those shooting numbers are just abysmal. And the, and, and then when you've, when you've still got to play a guy with those numbers, 17 minutes a night, that says something. Yeah. I feel like in the few times I watch him, I don't think he was very good defensively and offensively. I think he turned the ball over quite a bit too. I don't have yeah. in front of me, but yep. he, he wasn't very good. I think this really what it comes down to. Uh, so before we talk about the players returning, just want to remind you that if you've not had opportunity to go to nudge printing, you should check out their website, uh, nudgeprinting.com. All listeners to this show get 20% off if you enter Final Four into your coupon code. They sell fantastic shirts, hoodies, uh, decals, wall wall decals, uh, stuff for cornhole. They also have all sorts of other schools besides Michigan State. In addition to Michigan State regular stuff, they have Michigan State old vintage stuff. So really cool things from the 60s, 70s. If you want to have the unique sort of shirt that you're going to take to the tailgate this, this fall, that's absolutely the one you should go to. Go to nudgeprinting.com uh, and you fantastic quality. I've got a bunch. My, they're most popular with my family. I know you've liked the, the stuff that you have as well. So yep. uh, you just you just can't miss a nudge. They're a fantastic sponsor of the show. Support them, please. So again, go to nudgeprinting.com and you can find our shirts. If you want our shirt or hoodie, you can go to nudge, go to the final force on the schedule.com slash merchandise. You can get connected with our either t-shirt or sweatshirt. All right, so returning players, the most important one is Dawson Garcia, 6'10", senior center, led the team in scoring and rebounding. He averaged 15.3 points a game and 6.7 rebounds a game, shot 46, 35, and 71, so he had a little bit of outside range, uh, being able to ability to stretch the floor a little bit. Uh, he's from Minnesota, former McDonald's All-American, started out in Marquette, and then transferred to North Carolina before coming back to Minnesota. So he's obviously going to be one of their key, point, key players in the team, I mean, especially with... <laughs> With losing two of their starters, uh, he's absolutely going to be critical for their success this season. Yeah, he. I mentioned a few moments ago, getting him to come home was reason for optimism. But uh, and honestly, the numbers at least were on point with what reasonable expectations would have been. I mean, he played pretty well statistically, um, but it didn't make the team better. I don't put a lot of that on him necessarily, but uh, he's clearly their key guy with battle gone. He's, he's the linchpin for this team. Now, you know, they're probably going to play him more at the four this year than the five he's capable of playing the five, but I think to get their best team on the floor, they may play he and Payne together a lot. Um, and Garcia can handle that. He can, he can handle the four. He's a good enough perimeter shooter. Uh, 
you know, defensively, it's maybe not ideal, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers at this point. <laughs> Minnesota just needs talent on the floor. Um, you know, kind of a, a, a weird progression. You know, he's one of these guys, and we've talked about it a, a decent amount here, that Minnesota is is such an interesting job to me because if they ever get a coach that can just keep their fair share of the top end talent produced in the state at home, they will be a solid big 10 program. There's enough home, home team, home team talent, but our home state talent rather to do that, but they haven't been able to do it consistently. I mean, I just saw a kid in the 24 class his name is McAndrew. He's a, a stretch four type guy from Minnesota. He's going to Creighton. <laughs> not even that like kid, a Duke or something. I mean, he's not like that, a right league. now. They've lost a lot of guys to Duke and Kansas, and you know, in this case, he went to Marquette, which you know, I still wouldn't be very happy about if I were a Minnesota fan. But yeah. okay, and then he transferred to Carolina. But Creighton, I mean, I understand Creighton's been a very decent program more than decent in recent years but come on if i'm a minnesota fan i'm enraged by that but garcia is another example of this where he's uh he's a high-end mcdonald's all-american player who as i recall in his original recruitment minnesota never even had a realistic chance at getting now they're fortunate they've gotten him on the rebound but they ben johnson has got to change that uh, but in any event, they have Garcia now. He's the going to be the main man for them, no question. Well, and you know, when we were talking about the addition of Oregon and Washington, you were talking about Washington with the, the Seattle area having quite a few players. But yeah. I, I feel like Washington in general doesn't have really much. I mean, if you say they have any basketball tradition, it's really ancient. And Minnesota, I guess, is, at, I suppose by this point, it's pretty much ancient too, right? It's beyond any, any of these players who are there growing up who remember Minnesota being well, any good in the Big Ten. <laughs> You know, it's, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, Richard Patino got him to the tournament a few times. Tubby Smith, actually, when you look back at Tub their performance under Tubby Smith, it looks pretty good yeah, relative to what they are now. Um, you know, and it, it's really been, I mean, for Minnesota, the, even, even those two guys, their best teams were nowhere near contender status. You're you're at a point where you're almost coming up on 30 years. So yeah. it was 97, right, that they went mm -hmm. to the Final Four with Bobby Jackson and that group, um, Courtney James, those guys. That's a long time. You know, it used to be, and I've talked about this before. It used to be the Minnesota of, you know, my youth of growing up. So say the mid 70s to the mid 90s, Minnesota was a program that typically would cycle down for a couple of years and then they'd cycle up for a couple of years. And usually one of those two cycle up years, they would be somewhere in the mix at the top end of the league. So you'd figure once every four or five years, if you were a Minnesota fan, you could think about maybe not necessarily winning the big 10, but contending for it. Yeah. And, and those days are, that's ancient history. Yeah. I mean, when you're pre cell phone, that's, that's ancient. <laughs> <laughs> for kids nowadays, right? I can't even imagine that time. I was saying somebody this story of my son the other day, and I said something about something that happened in 1999. He just started laughing. He's like, well, that just sounds like a million years ago. 
Uh, all right. So next uh, returning player is Farrell Payne, the one you mentioned before, seven foot sophomore, started coming to zone near the end of the season, averaging 8.2 points a game, 5.2 rebounds a game, led the team in blocks with one a game, shot 69% from the floor, uh, terrible from the line at 49%. Uh, expect him to probably get a little bit better, but that's to your point earlier that he'd probably play the, you'd have him playing the five. You now have Garcia, who's a little more athletic and I can move and shoot outside and stretch the floor, play the floor, the four. And so, uh, you know, if he can continue progressing, he might become a serious force in the big 10. It, it remains to be seen what they do. My, my original thought was, well, they'll play them together some, but, but, you know, pain will probably also be a backup at the five. But the more I think about it, he's clearly one of their five best. And if I'm Ben Johnson, I've just got to find a way to get my best five on the floor as much as possible. Because if you don't do that, you know where you're finishing, right? <laughs> I like pain a lot. And for a guy who was sort of underrated under the radar as a freshman, I thought he was pretty damn good. You know, you shoot almost 70% from the floor. It tells me at the very least, you know who you are as right. a player. Layup, you're not forcing guy, things. Yeah. yeah, you're not taking bad shots. I mean, five, almost five and a half blocks per game, all solid. You know, defensively, he's a rim protector. I think he's got to improve, you know, pick and roll. Other areas got to get a lot better. Um, but the the material is there for Payne, I think, to be a really effective player. So if Minnesota has any hope for this season, I think it's a lot of it's going to revolve around these two guys being a really good low post combination. Next returning player is Joshua Ola Joseph, 6'7", sophomore, averaging 7.4 points a game and 2.7 rebounds a game, started 24 games, uh, stayed healthy, to play every game for Minnesota, one of the few players. He shot 55, 38, and 57. Uh, and his three-point shooting was a low volume. So he'll obviously be someone who's important going to next season as well. Yeah, that's my only hesitation with the three-point number is that it did come on low volume. So right. you're not sure whether that 38 is an honest 38 or not. But look, they need guys who can put the ball in the basket he showed potential like pain as a freshman and playing 22 minutes a game last season, that's significant. So he's another guy who's very much going to be a factor for this group. And, and that's the thing, look, they're, they're taking their lumps, but when you've got guys like pain and, and Ola Joseph that are, that are sophomores, you could see what Ben Johnson's trying to do. Right. And they're young and, team. And, and there's, there's one of two ways you can do this, right? You can play it the way a lot of coaches seem to be opting to play it now, which is, you know what? I've just got to accept that my roster is a year-to-year thing, and I'm going to rebuild every, every offseason. So every March, every April, I'm going to be in the portal, maybe even all summer, and I'm just going to have to do it that way. Or you could say, yeah, I could sprinkle in some guys where I need them, but if I'm going to be successful and build something sustainable, I've got to have a core of guys that develop over multiple years together. And that appears to be the route that Ben Johnson is at least trying to take. Yeah. And I, I would, I tend to think that's probably the smarter approach, but you know, it's only if you give enough time and you can able to actually right. get those recruits initially. You got to get right? it right. You, you know, guys like Payne and Joseph have to develop at this time next year. 
if this is going to work, we need to be talking about both of those guys coming off very good sophomore seasons where you can start to see a junior year for them where they're not just putting up good numbers because they're playing a lot of minutes on a bad team. You've got to start seeing things that indicate, hey, these guys are good Big Ten players, period. And that's the crapshoot. Right. Yeah. And speaking of returning freshmen, uh, Braden Carrington's next. He's six foot four. He'll be a sophomore, obviously. Played 22 games last year, averages almost six points a game and 3.6 rebounds a game, shooting 33, 33, and 72. 70% of his attempts were from deep. Uh, so obviously for him, you want to, if you're going to be shooting that much, you have to have a better three point percentage. But I mean, again, he's one of those players that can he develop, can he get a little bit better and then, you know, make this team a little bit better. And, you know, especially from an offensive standpoint, they certainly need it. Look, they need shooting, they need scoring, and they need it from three. And those are his supposed strengths. They, he's got to do all of those things better this year. Yeah. That's the other thing too. We talk about, well, if it's going to work, you've got to have those guys that you bring in for the high school ranks actually develop. The flip side of that is for the player's sake, you've got to show that, that you belong quickly. Because if you don't in this environment, you know, I don't know enough about how Ben Johnson's operating this program to know if he's doing this or not. But I can tell you a lot of coaches, you know, they, they cry about what the portal does in terms of the guys they lose, but let's also understand a lot of these guys are encouraging their own players to leave as well because they need the space. And so for a guy like Carrington, you know, this is a, it's crazy to say it about a guy who's only played one season, but he's already on the cusp of probably being make or break. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and sort of like, you know, with Izzo, you know, you'd have like Pierre Brooks, a good example well, he, I don't think he probably says you have to transfer, but he's probably said, you know, honestly, there's not, I don't see many minutes in the, for you next year. So you might as well just go somewhere else. Right. And that's the conversation these guys are having. Yeah. And it depends on the coach. I think, I think, um, you know, the, the more ethical guys are having those kinds of conversations. Um, I and I have no reason the best to side think of people Rod. <laughs> well, but there are guys out there who I guarantee you are saying <laughs> one way or another are saying to kids, look, get your ass out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Go find somewhere else or better yet. I'm going to find somewhere for you because mm-hmm. I need your spot. You know, um, I have no reason to think Ben Johnson. He seems like a solid guy. Uh, Izzo recruited him when he was a player. So um, <laughs> I'm going to assume that, but, but yeah, just, you look at somebody like Carrington and, you know, more so than the other two guys we talked about because they've already shown a little more. But Carrington, Mm -hmm. he's got one role that looks like it's the ticket for him. He didn't do well enough in that role as a freshman to say, oh, for sure, this guy's a piece of the puzzle going forward. He's got to show more this year. So next returning player would be Isaiah Innan. He's a 6'8 forward who's missed the last two years uh, with injury. So he last played in 2020 and 21, averaging only 2.8 points a game, three and a half rebounds a game, shooting 32, 22, and 79. So, you know, obviously he's got some size. Can he be a shooter? Well, it's been a while. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. This I is guess. the last connection to the Richard Patino era. Richard Patino was very high on it, very high on him. And then, you know, losing the last two years to injury 
God knows what he's got left. Or once upon a time, they thought this was a guy who could be really effective on the wing. He's got great length. He was athletic and he could shoot some, even though the three point numbers were not good uh, the last year that he played. Um, But this is just a huge question mark. And unfortunately for Ben Johnson, he's not the only one. I mean, name me another program where you've got two guys who have missed two consecutive seasons due to injury. Minnesota is one. They might be the only one for all I know. I'd be kind of surprised if there was another with two guys like that. Um, But you just don't know what you have. So I think at this point, it's a anything you get from it in his gravy. Yeah. Well, and for as much as Michigan state fans lament the foot injuries at Michigan state, I mean, I feel like Minnesota's had the injury bug for years oh, this, at this point. I mean, Eric, they just always seem to have two people out. Eric Curry. <laughs> yes. Eric Curry, right. Uh, you know, uh, just a, just a huge problem. And that was a kid who showed so much potential. And then again, it was, it was like two straight years. And he actually came back against all odds. Nobody expected him to come back and was reasonably productive his last year. Um, they'll hope for something similar for Ennin, but it's a crapshoot. A lot of crapshoots in this Minnesota team. <laughs> Next player, Parker Fox, 6'8", 230-pound power forward. Guess what? He missed two seasons due to injury. <laughs> After transferring to Minnesota from the uh, ambiguous northern state where he was a D2 All-American, where he's averaging 22 and a half points a game and almost 10 rebounds a game, along with three and a half blocks a game. So, you know, can you make the move up? What is he after those those years? I'm going to guess you're going to say this is a crapshoot. <laughs> well, it's a total, yeah, it's a total mystery. They were really excited when they signed him. Um, and, and we have seen, we've seen a little more of this than we used to. Um, where guys, a rare guy, it's not everybody, but occasionally somebody that's a D2 or a D3 All-American makes the step up in class and is actually really productive. There's the kid, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, he's a headband where at Creighton, um, who's a wing, and had every, in fact, Michigan State even checked in on him for a second in the portal last season. He was a, oh no, I'm sorry, he wasn't a D2 guy. He was a low major guy, but there have been examples of these kinds of players who have made it work. And Minnesota was really enthusiastic about Parker Fox. Now they're D2 numbers, but man, they're eye popping, you know? Sure. And he's got size and, you know, now you've got two think- problems, though. So, you still have that question mark. Well, how does he translate to the high major D one level? But, but you've also added to that. Oh, and also he sat out the last two years. Right. Due yeah. to entry. You have just no <laughs> way of knowing if, if somehow Parker Fox is something close to a hundred percent and everything translates. Well, he could be a huge X factor for this team, but we have no way of knowing how likely that is. I think we've figured out the title for this episode is Minnesota's a crap shot. Crap shot. Well, yeah. no, they're they're not actually because we know that the <laughs> odds are very much against them. It's sure. just some of these guys, <laughs> there's so much there's so much of a lack of data to go on with these guys that you just have no idea. Our final returning player is Caden Betts, six eight freshman, redshirt freshman. Uh, enrolled early last year at Minnesota, but didn't play. 
uh, took some time off to develop. So, you know, can he play the three? Can he play the four? He's got some size. I guess we'll see. Yeah, they like him. Um, they think he's a guy that can help this year, and, and they probably will need him to. Um, some positional versatility, uh, as you said, can play the wing, can play the four. Uh, and they like his shooting touch, and he's a decent athlete. So we'll see how effective he is. But, um, you know, that's the hope is that he can help at a couple different spots. All right. So before we get into new players, I just want to remind everyone that if you're listening to this show, that means you can qualify for our contest that we had last year where you predict the order of the Big Ten. So 1 through 14, uh, tiebreakers, how many points are scored in the Michigan-Michigan State games this season. So send your uh, predictions for who's first all the way down to 14th. And then you're going to go up against Rod, me, my son, basically everybody else for an opportunity to win some gear for Tiff Knots, either sweatshirts and t-shirts, whatever you want through Nudge Printing. Uh, you can send that into eric at tffinots.com. All right. So newcomers, Mike Mitchell, 6'2", sophomore, point guard transfer from Pepperdine. Boy, he's going to have quite a culture shock going from Pepperdine to Minneapolis. He averaged 11.4 points a game, five assists a game, and four rebounds a game on 42, 44, and 76 shooting. And so, I mean, they need scoring. They need someone who can run the points since they lost uh, Cooper. So it's hope. I'm sure for them, they're hoping he can be the guy to fill that hole. Yep. They've got, they've got two potential answers to that problem. And Mitchell is one of them. Um, I think that if you're a Minnesota fan, you, you've got to love two things. The assist number is high and 44% from three. Those are two things that are, you know, would be music to Ben Johnson's ears if he can even come close to duplicating those. Um, so yeah, a big addition. No, no question about it. They they needed to get a guy like him and they need him to translate. Next up is Zach uh Jack Wilson, 6'11, 350 pound center, transfer from Pac 4, Washington State. He averaged 1.3 points a game in 14 games. I uh, played two sports last year. He was the offensive tackle for the football team. I remember us talking about him last year, I think, uh, or some point during the summer you mentioned him. Uh, so, you know, unlikely to play a big role for the Gophers on the court. But I guess, is he? Is it thought that he might play for the football team too? I don't think so. I think he's exclusively a basketball player at Minnesota. That was, that was my understanding. Um, yeah, look, he's just a giant body. And... <laughs> I, I don't think they're planning on significant contributions, but he's there as an insurance policy. And he certainly has, as the cliche goes, that thing you cannot teach, size. <laughs> yeah, he has plenty of it and some to spare. Uh, next says Elijah Hawkins, 6, 5'11", transfer from Howard. He averaged 12.9 points a game on 42, 47, and 76 shooting, and six assists a game to just four turnovers a game. So... Someone from a small school like Howard, just like the uh, Mitchell from Pepperdine, you always wonder uh, how that translates into the Power Five, and these guys can either yep. turn out to be pretty good or not so much. <laughs> they need them both to be players, honestly, because there there are no other realistic options at that position, and ideally, they'll both be good enough to start. Now that would leave you pretty small. Um, with a 6'2 and a 5'11 guy starting together. But I think, again, at this point, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> and again, the things that pop, he was a ball-dominant player at Howard. So 
13 points a game and also six assists per game. Now, you don't love the efficiency with four turnovers per game. He didn't even get to that two-to-one ratio that ideally you want to see from a point guard, but um, he's clearly capable of making plays for others. And then shooting 47% from three, yeah, that's a spectacular number. Now, how well does that translate for both he and Mitchell? That's the real question. But if these guys are are able to translate well to this level, and and I think especially as we touched on um, at the outset here, find a way to get back to valuing the ball a little bit more, judging by their production at their previous schools, I'm not sure how realistic a thought that is. But if that can happen, maybe Minnesota's got a little bit of upside. But they – Mitchell and Hawkins are key, key guys, no question. So next is a new player, Cam Christie, 6'5 wing, younger brother of MSU player Max Christie. So similar strengths. He's a good shooter. He tends to be a little bit small on the physical strength, just like his brother, who's actually done pretty well in the NBA so far, considering uh, what I think some expectations were. So with this sort of team, you'd expect that he'd challenge for minutes right away uh, if he can actually shoot. Obviously, he's going to be a learning curve. And so the question most people would have, I suppose, listening to the show are like, was he was he entertaining Michigan State? Is a family sour to Michigan State? Was that even something that Michigan State was interested in? What's sort of the story with that as far as you know? You, you, I won't say you. I've heard different <laughs> things about how, and we touched on some of it here, yeah. about how things went for max during that one season and how those around him viewed it. But I have to be honest with you. Uh, Cam was heading to not being a Michigan state recruit before that there was, you know, most of the time, or I should say most of the time, frequently we expect siblings to follow each other. And that happens enough to where you understand it, but there are instances where, you know, it's just the, the younger brother wants to blaze their own trail or yeah. they don't react to the same things the same way about the school that the elder sibling did. Um, you know, I have a feeling nothing's over till it's over, but, you know, Michigan State has Jeremiah Fears, Jeremy Fears' younger brother in the 25 class. And right now, I don't think there's a heavy expectation that Michigan State will get him. Right. He's a very good player. He's a better prospect than Camp Christie was, but it's just one of those things. It just isn't, you know, it doesn't resonate the same way. Yeah, there was almost from the get-go, there seemed to be a feeling that Cam was not likely to end up at MSU. Um, looking at him as his own player, you know, the, the strength is shooting and size for the position at 6'5". The problem is defensively where Max was actually really good. Yeah. As he a was, freshman. Yeah. Surprising. That's, good. that's an issue for cam and strength is there. And he's also not quite the athlete that Max was. So uh, you add all that up though. And the situation he's in at Minnesota, look, there's a chance cam Christie starts. I mean, they need oh, yeah, scoring sure. on the wing. So you look at it right now. Okay, Ola Joseph would probably be a strong contender to be a starter. But after that, you know, Carrington, as we talked about, he didn't he didn't uh, blow the world away. Betts 
was a red shirt last year. You don't know about him. Um, do both Hawkins and Mitchell start together or is only one of them starting? So there's an opportunity. And, and I definitely expect that we'll see Cam Christie in a rotation role. Yeah. Because if he can do that one thing, well, shoot the basketball. Well, they have a glaring need for that. Yeah. I mean, you'd expect at least double digit numbers and minutes for him available. Yes. That, that yes. roster, right? I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Yeah. And so final uh, new addition is Christopas Kianis. Uh, late addition, Lithuanian, big time center. Dennis Evans decommitted and ended up at Louisville. So they got this Lithuanian forward. 6'8", a little under 200 pounds. Um, uh, you know, I I guess there's uh, not a, hot, a whole lot known about him except that they expect him. He kind of arrived in summer. This is the nature of what it is right now. People arriving late in the summer on teams now with transfers and all this sort of stuff going on. So, um, so a lot unknown and whether he can, you know, how long it takes to get sort of gel with part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. The, the loss of Evans was a big one because he was, he wasn't a McDonald's all American. I don't believe, but he was, he was right under that level. He was a very highly regarded recruit and kind of a surprise. Cause he's, I, I want to say he's from Southern California. He's definitely not from the region. And Ben Johnson landed him and then he ended up decommitting, ended up at Louisville. So that was a bit of a loss. But, you know, again, I look at Minnesota's roster and to me, if they'd landed Evans, I'm not sure where that, where would that have put pain, you know? Exactly. Right. So with this kid, this was a reaction to having a spot available. Um, You know, who the hell knows? Where better to they, go than Vilnius, right? His, yeah. repu- his reputation is that he's better defensively at this point. Uh, offensive game is still a work in progress. And I'm pretty sure he's not even there yet. They were talking about late in the summer. So I believe, I don't believe he's arrived yet. Um, that would suggest that you're probably not going to see a lot from him early on. But yeah. we'll, we'll see. So he's still on the steamership going across the Atlantic right now. So yeah. uh, we'll move just to the discussion of the Gophers overall. Uh, you know, you picked them to be the worst team in the Big Ten. And I th- I've, I'm i going to guess that very similar to last year, you're going to say, well, we can kind of have different tiers. And then Minnesota is in the bottom tier, but they may not end up 14th. Maybe all these things work out and they could end up, you know, winning. They'd hope from their standpoint, they win more or two or three games, right? Maybe they could win five or six. I will say this. It is not every year that the team that you pick last has an individual player with the talent that Garcia has. Sure. So when you have a guy like that, sometimes that's enough that if he goes up, say another half level from where he was last year, and all of a sudden he's, you know, an 18 and 11 guy and is a little more efficient. Um, that might be enough where he can carry them in a in a handful of games. And maybe you do get to that four wins, five wins area. You know, you can't rule that out. Um, but it's it's a tough situation. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. Um, you could see by the tenor of our discussion, you know, Johnson's trying to build something that is a little more sustainable. You know, yes, he's brought in guys from the portal, but even some of that, you know, Mitchell, who's arguably their biggest portal addition, he's a sophomore. 
So right. I would think ideally they're going to have him as a multi-year guy. You know, that would, that would be the guess. Um, it, losing battle. If they had battle back, I would have more seriously thought about putting them 13th because I figure he's going to, his injury luck has to be better. And if you put battle together with Garcia and Payne, that would have been a really good front court, really good um, for a team at this level of the big, of, of the standings, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, here are the questions to me. First thing is, can Mitchell and Hawkins really translate? If those shooting numbers, even if they can be high 30s guys from three, that's going to make Minnesota better. You know, um, yep. I think for Minnesota to be significantly improved, both of those guys have to be good. Can, can Cam Christie and Betts, the red shirt, be effective, uh, effectively introduced into the rotation and give him better, more quality depth? Um, and then I think beyond that, Inan and Fox are total X mystery factors. If you get anything out of those guys, that could be a benefit. Uh, you know, I can, I don't have to squint too hard to see this team being better than they were a year ago, but that also doesn't mean very much because you can still be <laughs> God awful and yeah. be better. So, but, but to me, better quote unquote, really starts on the offensive end for this team. They have to figure out how to be a more efficient team in every way possible. So that means valuing the ball to a greater degree and shooting the basketball better. If they can do those things, they can be improved. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you and I both agree that Ben Johnson seems like an upgrade over Patino as from a coaching standpoint, just like just coaching. Well, but the other part is, of course, recruiting and can you construct this roster? And we won't know that for another year or two, probably. Look, it's the same. And Ben Johnson, they brought in for a reason. One, he had a reputation as an effective recruiter, as an assistant. I believe his last stop had been at Xavier before taking the Minnesota job. So he'd been in some places where they know how to win. You know, he'd been in a winning right. culture. So that was a positive. And you know, he was a guy who had great connections with high school and AAU figures in the state of Minnesota. So ideally, you look at that and say, okay, maybe this is a guy, you know, Richard Patino landed a handful of players. You know, he got a mere coffee to stay home. His he was a legacy. His dad had played at Minnesota had played at Minnesota. I'm not sure how right. challenging that was. He did get Oturu, who was a really good player for them. Uh, mm -hmm. to also stay home. Um, but he swung and missed on a ton of other guys. You know, he was not the answer in terms of, you know, putting that proverbial fence around the state and and keeping the majority of the high-end players in Minnesota playing for the home state school. Um, if Ben Johnson is going to succeed, I think it applies to him the same way it applies to anybody who takes this job. That has to be... I mean, I, I think people might differ with this now because the portal has changed so much, but I still think it's true for this job. The core of your roster has to be higher end talent from within your own state because the state produces enough of it 
And, and the thing that would be maddening to me if I were a Minnesota fan is there's no competition in state. Right, exactly. Yeah, there Mankato is no State's other Minnesota not, yeah. school. It, but instead, they find this, you know, Wisconsin, if you look back over the Bo Ryan and Greg Gard period, and you're not really aware of it, I think you will be shocked to find out how many of their better players have come from the state of Minnesota over the last 20 years. It's a high number. You know, Brad Davison was a Minnesota kid. John Lohr was a Minnesota kid. I mean, I can go on and on and on. They've had a lot of Nate Reavers was a Minnesota kid. Um, that's just in the last few years. Yeah. Um, you know, that doesn't even count the Kansases, the Dukes, and now Creighton. You know, these <laughs> other programs coming in and taking guys from your state. If it's going to change, the bottom line is going to change, rather. That's got to shift. And, and that, to me, is the biggest thing that's on Ben Johnson's plate. And it's a hard task. I mean, I don't mean to suggest that it's simple. Minnesota plays in a building that I think the romantics and traditionalists among us think has some charm. But I have no doubt that it's something of an albatross for them in some ways that they play at Williams arena, you know, sure. the lack of a practice facility. There are these things that it, it's hard for Michigan state fans to even relate to because they are the problems that Michigan state faced more than 30. You know, we're talking 35 years ago. This is the stuff. If you read Judd's autobiography, he talks about what it was like trying to recruit to Jenison. And, and how challenging that was, you know? Um, and I imagine that anybody in the head coaching job at Minnesota faces the same challenge. But you would hope in-state kids can see past that a little bit. But it's, it's been very difficult. It's not ben jo- it's not, it doesn't start with Ben Johnson. He's just the latest guy to face it. But if it's ever going to change, that's got to shift. And Minnesota has to become a legitimate option for the best. I mean, look at Trey Holloman. Yeah, right. I was going to say we've got him too, yeah. Trey Holloman would have, in my opinion, had huge minutes as a freshman. He would have. And he opted to not go there. He instead came to Michigan State, where I I suspect he knew he was going to be facing much stiffer competition for minutes, but he wanted to be part of a different kind of program. That perception has to be changed at some point. And boy, they've cycled through a lot of guys. I mean, and they've done it all different ways. They, you know, they had, uh, they had uh, Dan Monson who was, you know, came from Gonzaga. Try to imagine. Mark yeah, Few know, leaving that job crazy from that. But at the time it made sense. <laughs> yeah. Dan Monson couldn't get it done. Um, Tubby Smith, they bring in a veteran guy with final fours and a national championship on his resume, did a solid job, but not good enough apparently for them. Then they bring in Richard Patino who, you know, had some, had a name. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say had some reflected flash. Um, (laughs) Never quite, you know, had some decent teams, but never turned the corner. It's just, it's a very challenging job, but what's frustrating about it from the outside looking in is 
it all looks so simple to me. It's not a simple thing, but it, yeah, but it right. looks that way when you look at the amount of talent that state produces and just think, just keep your share. Right. You don't have to get them all. <laughs> just get just get a couple of the top hundred guys every year. You know, you don't have to get the McDonald's all American types. They keep those yeah, guys right. at home and you, and you'll have something and they just have not been able to do it. It, it is, it is challenging because if you don't have success then to try and get people to come buy into your yep. program and say, we're going to bring success, especially, especially in this case where it hasn't been with any of these, any players memory, you know, even to their right. existence. And so yeah, that didn't happen absolutely. for them. I mean, if you're Ben Johnson, you have to look, if you're going to look at like close approximation of what a program you want to do is you build, you want to try and build something like Rutgers where you're competitive, kind of a pesky team for a little while and slowly get to the point where you're enough success that people want to come to you and the, the high profile players who are in state in the area want to stick around, which is what Rutgers is doing now, right? That's a really good call. And and to me, that should be the model for any of these perpetual lower echelon Big Ten teams. Because the Rutgers job, make no mistake, was tougher than the Minnesota job is. Oh, for sure. I mean... You, no old, you could say, right, zero, and, you know, the, the Minnesota facilities aren't good, but it's not like Rutgers are really better in any objective way. Um, yes, you're in a state that produces a lot of talent, but it's also a place where guys are very much used to not staying home, and everybody and their brother recruits that state. So you're, you're competing against the best of the best all the time. So that's a really good example of how you build it by establishing uh, values and a style of play. And you just gradually get better and better to the point that eventually you can attract, as Rutgers is starting to do finally, high-end talent. And it'll be interesting to see what happens if anything changes when they've got guys at that level. but. Um, you know, for now, that is the model of how you do it in this yeah. league. And let's be honest, Minneapolis is a hundred times better than Piscataway, New Jersey. So I, I would, it'd be. in my opinion, yes, absolutely. <laughs> About any, but any sane person's opinion, I think it would be, uh, well, that should be enough for go for talk. Uh, we'll be back with number 13 next. Uh, but until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. Thank you.